your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, October 28th. I'm Terry Arango with my guests, Barbara Lowe Fisher and Louise Kuohabakis. Barbara Lowe Fisher is co-founder and president of the National Vaccine Information Center. She is the co-author of DPT is Shot in the Dark and author of the Consumer's Guide to Childhood Vaccines, as well as the new book, Vaccines, Autism, and Chronic Inflammation, The New Epidemic. During the early 1980s, Barbara helped launch a grassroots movement to bring the issue of vaccine safety to public attention, including leading demonstrations at the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta and the White House in 1986. Among other posts, she has served on the National Vaccine Advisory Committee, the Institute of Medicine Vaccine Safety Forum, and the FDA, Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. Louise Kuohobakis is a member of the New Jersey Coalition for Vaccination Choice, a board-certified health practitioner, former senior corporate executive, and mother of two vaccine-injured boys. Louise, with the New Jersey Coalition for Vaccination Choice, organized the Vaccination Choice Rally that took place in Trenton, New Jersey, on October 16th. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Barbara, on October 16th at the Vaccination Choice Rally, as you gave your speech, you looked out over three generations in the many hundreds of people present, Please tell us about this. What did you think? How did you feel? Mm. Well, you know, Terry, I, I I did look out at the sea of faces. I mean, the mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers. Some of them were um, holding babies, young children in their arms. Some of them had older, seriously vaccinated children. I think DPT vaccinated children in strollers. They were holding signs, pictures of their children. And I, I looked out at this this hundreds of people, and I was catapulted back into the early 1980s. Um, you know, when Kathy Williams and I were with parents, same types of parents, um, when we were, you know, we were young moms, we were, and we were holding posters of our DPT vaccinated children when we demonstrated at the CDC in Atlanta and at the White House, and that was 1986. And I, I felt this great sadness because the faces of the mothers and the children have not changed in the past three decades. There are just now, there are just more of them. It, I mean, it is this third generation of children and families who are who are suffering because the government and the vaccine manufacturers and the medical organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics refused in the 1980s to listen to, to those of us whose children had regressed after DPT vaccine and do the scientific research to find out why vaccines injure and kill and why some individuals are at greater risk biologically, genetically, perhaps, for being hurt by vaccines. And I think that mostly this has happened because they had already decided long ago that it was ethical to allow some children to be thrown under the bus for the theoretical greater good that they always talk about. So they kept ignoring and denying vaccine casualties, and they kept on adding more vaccines, tripling at this point in the last five years, tripling the numbers of doses of vaccines that our children get. And, And now there's this great child epidemic of chronic disease and disability, 
the statistics we've been hearing for the last decade, one in six child learning delayed, one in nine asthmatic, one in 450 diabetic, and as we all know, between one in, one in 60 and one in 150 affected with autism. And so I looked out at this, these, these parents and at this rally in Trenton and, and, and realized this was the human price that has been paid for a quarter century of the government refusing to act. But at the same time, I had this incredible feeling of joy because there were 700 Americans who had come to the first rally that was ever held in the U.S. that was solely focused on freedom, that, you know, the right for Americans to follow their conscience and be free to make informed voluntary vaccination choices. So the, the moment was bittersweet. And, and, but I, I was filled with this hope, like I said, and excitement because I was in the company of, of, of a group of smart, motivated moms and dads, you know, Louise and Ron Habakkus, for example, enlightened healthcare professionals like pediatrician Larry Polevsky. There were brave legislators who stood up publicly for informed consent protections and vaccine laws. And I thought, you know, after 26 years of working to wake up people so they'll get up off their knees and fight for the freedom to make vaccine choices, the message has been received. And so I could feel in Trenton that I would see that freedom come in my lifetime. And it was, um, it was because the young parents like Louise and Claudine Liss and, and uh, Sue Collins and so many others took the initiative to hold this rally. You know, Barbara, I, I thank you so much for that. I, I have to say that it was so meaningful for us that you were there, um, that you were there with us. It felt so right that the stars were aligned and that you were able to be in New Jersey to join us. Um, the, uh, the message that you have been giving for nearly 30 years, that continuity, um, <clears throat> I think it just it, it resonated very strongly. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you saw and heard firsthand people were very moved by your words and by your presence there. It was, uh, it was important that we were all joined across the generations and across the, uh, the many years that parents have been trying to deliver this message. Well, it was, uh, it was a tremendous um, feeling of empowerment for me, and I, and I feel that, that, you know, that a lot of parents are understanding for the first time that it doesn't really matter what they put into the vaccines. It, bottom line is whether a vaccine it carries a great deal of risk or carries no risk, still we have the right in this country to choose whether or not we are going to use a pharmaceutical product, particularly one that carries the risk of injury or death. And so all the talk over the last three decades about whether a vaccine is safe or not, whether it should, it should have these ingredients or it shouldn't have certain ingredients, you know, really is in a way beside the point when it comes to the right to inform consent, to engaging in a medical intervention. I mean, whether it's a pharmaceutical product or a medical procedure, uh, certainly one that carries risk. We should have the right to to to, to, to make those choices. And and you see this rally being the first one to solely focus on that 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 idea that we have the right to follow our conscience when making healthcare decisions for ourselves and our children was just so important and i feel like you know now we can move forward and beyond some of the disagreements that have occurred in the last decade uh even between some parent groups about you know what we should be saying about vaccines. You know, the truth is that those of us who have, who have, who have, ch- 
tried to re- institute safety in informed consent protections in the mass vaccination system have been met with uh, this stonewalling by those who are in power. And so, you know, now how long are we going to try to do this for 26 more years of trying to get them to do the right thing? I think the time has come to say, you know, whatever, whether you want to use vaccines or you don't, whether you want to use some or all, you have the right to make these informed decisions. And it's going to be the young parents, uh, this third generation, who are going to infuse the energy and the forward movement that is needed at this moment in time. And so, yes, I am, I'm delighted that the, all of the generations are coming together now, and I hope all the groups that care about this issue will come together now on this one issue of the right to informed consent to vaccination. Well, Barbara, first of all, I want to applaud you for hanging in there all these years and continuing to fight for these rights for um, the children and all individuals. And um, I think they may argue um, on the basis of what you said, the greater good. Uh, I'd like to ask a question to follow up on that. Did vaccines really wipe out diseases either as a contributory factor or on their own? And how come there are these diseases in highly vaccinated populations? Well, I mean, I think if you look at the history of uh, infectious diseases across centuries, really, there always is an accommodation by the human population with infectious microorganisms who have been on this earth for as long as we have walked the earth. And I think that uh, you can see that uh, disease will, uh, will, will lessen in severity, uh, certainly, it may, it may not lessen in incidence. For example, you can see uh, that measles and deaths and complications that leading to permanent injury from um, measles and whooping cough and uh, these disease, normal childhood diseases or what used to be normal childhood diseases had already declined uh, at the turn of the century uh, when vaccination became more and more popular. I mean, starting out with smallpox vaccine, moving on to diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus vaccine, and then, of course, polio vaccine, and then, of course, the explosion that we've had in the last quarter century of vaccines uh, that children use. But, but there is, has always been an accommodation uh, over the generations with infectious microorganisms. And, and so, you know, one can say, yes, we had, you know, 400,000 cases of measles in 1965, and we supposedly have less than 200 cases uh, on average uh, in most years, or between 200 and 2,000, whatever cases in the United States today. But the point, the, the bigger point is how many, how many people or children were actually being injured and dying from those childhood diseases. When chickenpox vaccine came in in 1995, there was chickenpox, uh, every, almost every child had experienced chickenpox by the age of 10 in this country in 1995 when that vaccine was introduced. But there were a hundred, there were a hundred deaths every year. Fifty of them were in adults. This was not a, a, a disease, chickenpox, that I believe should have been a candidate for certainly mandatory vaccination certainly offer it for the population, but to force it is another matter because chickenpox did not follow the model of, of smallpox. Smallpox was a very deadly, serious disease. One could even argue whether there should have been a mandatory vaccination with that vaccine, but certainly um, with chickenpox, it, is, it was absolutely a different model, and yet the same, the same uh, idea was applied to it, that we have to eradicate it, that we cannot have our children experience it. 
And and in the book that I've just written, Vaccines, Autism, and Chronic Inflammation: The New Epidemic, I have I have you know brought up this 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 idea that perhaps we should be having some of these infectious diseases in childhood, Are there... because perhaps they are actually uh, strengthening the immune systems of our children, allowing them to have an acute inflammatory response when they come in contact with that infectious microorganism, and then resolve inflammation and achieve a, a superior, qualitatively superior immunity, strengthening their immune function and allowing them in the future, when they come in contact with other viruses and bacteria, that they are able to successfully mount an inflammatory response and resolve inflammation. In other words, are we setting our children up by using too many vaccines for chronic disease and disability by uh, basically uh, predisposing them to chronic inflammation where, where they can't recover? And, and then I talk about potentially what this might mean for vaccines, uh, vaccine-induced autism. That's an excellent point. More on this when we come back from the break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we'll be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. 
We're back with Barbara Lou Fisher and Louise Kuohobakis. Barbara, before the break, you were talking about inflammation, and uh, I think you were talking about it either being created chronically uh, as a result of vaccines or getting over it from an acute illness. Do you think that the vaccine apologists and all of those who develop vaccines know everything they need to know about the human body, such mm-hmm. as in the field of immunology? Well, let's look back at uh, previous centuries. I mean, for many hundreds of years, they were cutting and bleeding seriously ill patients and the belief it would cure them. Mercury was being used to cure syphilis or try to cure syphilis. Physicians were refusing to wash their hands between autopsies. You know, when delivering babies, lots of mothers were left sick and dying within days of giving birth. All of these beliefs that medicine had over the centuries that proved to be dangerous. Um, Right now, um, there is this stubborn reluctance of doctors to deny, I mean, they are denying that something they're doing to keep people well is actually hurting them. And that, I can understand that. I mean, they're obsessed with the idea that all experience with infection in childhood is bad, and so we have to give our children every vaccine that pharma produces to keep them well. But they're operating in a vacuum of scientific knowledge, and that is what makes their assumptions so dangerous. I mean, we've come to a place today where our entire public health care system is committed to making sure that children get more than 60 doses of more than a dozen vaccines. This, this faith that universal vaccination eradicated smallpox and is on its way to eradicating polio and therefore it is logical and biologically wise to eradicate or at least strictly control every other infectious microorganism that causes acute infection in man. But this premise has never been adequately scientifically examined. It's based on belief in theory and not on sound scientific knowledge because the concept of vaccination concentrates on the belief that if you are exposed to an infectious organism, you will most certainly die or be seriously injured. It focuses on sickness and death instead of wellness and life because, we, we, you know, we might ask the question, why do most individuals exposed to an infectious microorganism not get sick or move through about with the flu or whooping cough or measles with no serious complications while others get injured or die? And why do some individuals get vaccinated, suffer brain inflammation, permanent brain damage, and die or die while others get vaccinated and appear to have no negative impact on their health? You know, in 1991 and 1995, the Institute of Medicine published reports about vaccine adverse events And they admitted in those reports that there are huge gaps in knowledge about the way vaccines act singly or in combination in the body, particularly at the cellular and molecular level. And they admitted there are gaps in knowledge about how infectious disease progresses in the body and why temporary vaccine-induced immunity is qualitatively inferior from disease-induced immunity, which lasts longer or is permanent. So here we are in 2008, after more than 200 years of humans passing laws forcing vaccine use, And there are still these huge gaps in scientific knowledge about the long-term health that is associated with vaccination. And I think it's this, this gap in knowledge that has really contributed significantly to why we may be paying such a high price for trying to use so many vaccines to prevent our children from having any natural experience of infection, including now type A and type B influenza, as evidenced by the flu vaccine mandate in New Jersey, which was part of what that rally was about. Um, As far as inflammation, you know, encephalitis and brain inflammation has been the hallmark of of vaccine complications since smallpox and rabies vaccine. 
Encephalitis, brain inflammation can lead to encephalopathy, which involves a degenerative process that can permanently damage the brain. Um, that was what I wrote about, Harris Culture and I wrote about in DPT A Shot in the Dark was the brain inflammation that occurred after DPT vaccination and also can occur after DTAP vaccination because DTAP still contains bioactive pertussis toxin, which is the, the main offender in, in the pertussis vaccine for causing inflammation of the brain. Um, and so all vaccines... All vaccines can cause brain inflammation and inflammation of the, of the immune system as well. They can lead to permanent brain dysfunction and immune dysfunction or even death. Now, symptoms of brain inflammation, for example, with pertussis vaccine, uh, uh, is uh, high-pitched screaming, babies ha- having high-pitched screaming after vaccination or being extremely unresponsive, that is, they collapse into a deep sleep that they can't come out of easily, uh, seizures, are a symptom of brain inflammation, signs that there has been an encephalopathy that can lead to permanent, you know, damage of the brain. I mean, a sign would be any dramatic change in mental, emotional uh, behavior or physical regression, not being able to do what the, the child could do before the shot, like sit up or roll over. I mean, I, I feel certain that there are babies who are suffering brain inflammation after vaccination, after getting not just one vaccine, but today can receive eight to ten vaccines on one day. And they're suffering brain inflammation that can be subtle, like my son, um, who had uh, you know, a, a convulsion, collapse, shock, and state of unconsciousness within four hours of DPT vaccination. He, he after coming, you know, he, about 18 hours, with the exception of my waking him once, he was basically unresponsive. But in the days and weeks after that shot, he no longer could do what he could do before. He had a mild brain inflammation. I happened to walk in on his reaction that day. But how many mothers are not in the room when their baby, like in the middle of the night in a crib, can have a seizure, can be unresponsive, or be in a state of unconsciousness for many hours? And then that baby goes on to not develop normally and gets more vaccines and has more regression. How do we really know how many children in this country are regressing after vaccination into both minimal brain dysfunction, multiple learning disabilities, ADD like my son suffered, or significant brain dysfunction that it would include the autism spectrum disorders, include seizure disorders that cannot be con- uh, controlled with medication, mild mental, uh, um, mental retardation, um, and then the immune dysfunction that can, that can include asthma, diabetes, because inflammation in the body that remains unresolved can affect many different organs of the body. And now science is, is, is there's, a lot of, there's a lot of scientists that believe that chronic inflammation is the root of most chronic disease. So what have we done potentially to our children by being so afraid of them having any experience with acute infection in childhood, such as the flu or chickenpox? Have we set them up for immune systems that are chronically inflamed because they're both atypically manipulated by vaccination over and over again, and also they have not learned naturally how to mount an inflammatory response in response to infection and resolve it? So it's two factors that potentially could be at work here. 
Barbara, you've mentioned the flu repeatedly, and uh, something that comes up each year is the annual flu scare. How do you feel about the flu scares each year, and do 36,000 people really die from the flu each year? Well, you know, this 36,000 figure is something that we have for, oh, at least 15 years asked the government uh, health agencies to to document they 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 not only will not doc, they won't document that figure and they will not give us uh the sci- the scientific studies the large scientific studies that have compared vaccinated to unvaccinated children in terms of long-term health so you have just these 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 um figures thrown out there by the CDC uh without any documentation because who's going to make them right we now know that this 36,000 figure most likely can t- contains not only those who die uh, from influenza, strictly type A or type B flu, but also those who have pneumonia and other kinds of, quote, complications of influenza. But what we do know about the flu vaccine is that it's not very effective in either children or adults. That that work was done several years ago and published uh, by the Cochrane Collaboration, uh, somebody who worked with the Cochrane Collaboration in the British Medical Journal. The, the studies that are just not there proving that this vaccine uh, can effectively prevent uh, flu in children and, and the elderly. And yet we are told that our children must get this vaccine in order to protect the rest of society. I mean, that's basically what the argument is, that there are little vectors of disease and nobody should be getting the flu. We've all got to, in fact, they're taking a cradle-to-the-grave approach to flu vaccination. You know, you're supposed to start it at six months and they want you to do it all the way through to, to, to the last year of your life. So is this a wise thing to do biologically? Why are we trying to prevent all type A and type B flu experience with that? When I've been in pandemic flu planning meetings, uh, you know, attended those meetings, they are counting on the natural experience that the population has with type A and type B flu to, to protect a potential from them from the potential pandemic flu. In other words, if you've had an experience of type A or type B flu in your life and a pandemic flu that comes around, whether it's type A or type B, it's a particularly virulent type flu, they're counting on some antibodies that you have from that flu to protect the population until they can produce the flu vaccine, the pandemic flu vaccine. And there's going to be so little of it when the pandemic flu hits, if it does hit, that they're going to have to prioritize who gets first doses of that new flu vaccine. They're going to count on the natural immunity in the population. Well, if they give everybody flu vaccine, they're going to obviously have to increase the effectiveness, but if they give everybody flu vaccine and it works to prevent flu, then how are we going to be naturally protected? Because all vaccination is only temporary. No vaccine gives you permanent immunity. The only way you can get permanent immunity is to actually have experience with the disease. Right, it doesn't seem logical. How many vaccines are coming down the pike? There are there are several hundred new vaccines being developed in more than two thousand clinical trials world, worldwide. So there are, uh, you know, the companies cannot uh, have a predictable, stable market unless there are mandates. I think that's why we've seen the proliferation in vaccine mandates. So you you have, you know, two thousand clinical trials. Vaccines for every every infectious disease known to man, literally. And Barbara, you may need to finish answering this after the break. So it, it doesn't seem as if this is a matter. Oh, 
I guess I'll finish asking it after the break. We'll be right back with Barbara Lou Fisher and Luis Cohabacus. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. And we're back with Barbara Fisher and Louise Kuhabakis and Barbara. I was asking you before the break, um, from what you've been saying, it doesn't sound as if this is simply a matter of swapping out some vaccine ingredients here and there. Are there much deeper roots underlying the foundation of obstructionism to health freedom, parental choice, and informed consent in general, and with particular regard to the history of mandatory vaccine policies and legislative events affecting civil liberties since 9-11? Gosh, that's a huge question that probably should have a whole show devoted to it. But I mean, as far as vaccine additives and contents, you know, certainly we know about mercury and the toxicity of mercury. We know aluminum is toxic. There are so many, formaldehyde, phenoxyethanol, glutaraldehyde, sodium chloride, MSG, yeast, proteins, adventitious agents that they cannot screen for, um, endotoxin, there are so many ingredients in vaccines that have not truly been studied, either singly or in combination. So 
I, I, I do not think it is just a matter of, in terms of creating safe vaccines, safe vaccine policies of what is in the vaccines. Um, and that's why I, I support the conscience belief exemption to vaccination because there's much more science that needs to be done. And, and bottom line, we need to make those choices. But, I, you know, if you go back in this country to, well, where did mandatory vaccination start? You know, it was 1905 Supreme Court decision, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, um, that was decided by a Supreme Court at the time when utilitarianism was very much in fashion, and that is, of course, the, the what I call pseudoethic, I think, that uh, uh, buttresses public health policies, vaccine policies. That is, that it is ethical to, to basically sacrifice the well-being of some, uh, a minority of individuals for, for a majority of individuals. Um, and it's that sort of idea, as I suggested earlier, that I think has really uh, held us back from spending the money and making vaccine safety a priority. Because if you assume that an individual is 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 expendable, as I said at the rally, when one of us in the community is considered expendable, then we are all considered expendable. So this great uh, increase in children that are vaccine injured is because we have not cared enough about the individual. And that goes back to that original faulty premise, uh, philosophical premise that underpinned Jacobson versus Massachusetts. And so the state, the mandatory vaccination laws in this country, and you'll see so much uh, being said by doctors who are support forced vaccination in the media uh, that you know you don't have the right to not vaccinate your child because you're putting the rest at risk, which of course brings us to the question: If the vaccines work, then why is an unvaccinated child or a mother who chooses to not vaccinate a child because she thinks her child's genetically or biologically at higher risk, or for whatever reason, why does that unvaccinated child put a vaccinated person at risk? It's not logical. So I think, you know, since 911, and this is, again, is a subject for a bigger program, uh, another program, there has been a lot of legislation that's been passed at the federal and state level uh, where people who, are, who unfortunately were waiting for some, a catastrophe of this kind to go in and scare the legislators into passing laws that are very oppressive, take away our civil rights, and certainly allow the companies to continue to produce experimental vaccines and drugs that that they will not be held liable for if the Secretary of Health, for example, uh, uh, um, issues an a, a emergency, a public emergency call, and these experimental drugs and vaccines are used on a mass basis in our population. And at the state level, also laws called the Mall State Health Emergency Powers Act that were passed after 911, and we protest, the MDIC protested those in the states and got some states to insert informed consent protections. But Across the board, right now, public health officials at the state and federal level have unprecedented power to force the use of experimental drugs and vaccines if a public health emergency is declared. And, you know, now one case of measles can be considered an epidemic and an emergency. So where is this going? That's why we need to get stand up and get involved and change our vaccine laws. Well, Louise, having heard everything that Barbara just said, not that we can sit and do nothing no matter what your answer, 
Uh, how optimistic do you feel about the future in ensuring informed consent and parental rights for their children? You know, I am very optimistic, Terry, <clears throat> because I see the movement building and growing right before my eyes and right in my backyard. I know the power of truth and of the kind of community that grows and strengthens when parents come together in support of something so important as the health of our children and the future of our nation that it eclipses everything else. Grassroots advocacy is what I, I believe will lead the way in our country. I can see what individual people, just, just you know, a solo person can accomplish alone and then how that message can resonate so strongly <clears throat> with others. So I see uh, like-minded organizations coming together. This is not just the autism community. You know, we're, we're seeing many other um, parent support groups and parent organizations coming together and people speaking out in support of choice and freedom. And, and you know, many of these principles that were the founding principles that, that made this country great. Um, there are many, many paths to choice, to informed consent, to vaccination choice, and they are all legitimate. You can get to this place for reasons that are legal, scientific, medical, moral, ethical, socially responsible, constitutional, religious reasons. And, you know, it's very troubling to us when the uh, public health officials and the doctors, who I call the vaccine establishment, they like to paint parents with one brush as anti-vaccine. But that could not be farther from the truth. I mean, yes, there are some parents who are anti-vaccine, but there are also many, many parents who are asking, how do I figure out the responsible thing to do? I, I do want to protect my children against the disease, but I'm worried. Where can I get answers? And I think this process of optimism that I, or this, the optimism I have is coming from this process, and so we, we need to be going through, I think, a period of tremendous um, and somewhat acrimonious debate. And so it's going to get um, pretty interesting before I think we work our way through it. But, you know, the fact is that parents are not trusting doctors and we're not trusting government and industry either. And I think that there's ample reasons for that that's borne out in the reality of what's happening in our country. But the fact remains that the trust gap has never been greater. And parents must know, we demand to know, that the decision-making process has not been tainted by influence. So, you know, we see things like in New Jersey, the former Deputy um, Health Commissioner, Dr. Eddie Bresnitz, he's responsible for mandating HIB and the flu shot in New Jersey, and then he waltzes over to become head of adult vaccines at Merck. It doesn't look good, Ooh. and there are many examples of that happening with our supposedly impartial um, public health officials. Uh, you know, additionally, I think parents are angry at the media, and we're demanding that the portrayal of parents um, be more accurate and more fair. I think they like to portray parents as fringe and hysterical, or they like to portray us as frustrated wannabe scientists. You know, we know better. We we have the science and the and the the, the medical research. Um, but in essence, what what's what's true is that. You know, parents do not want to be the experts. We want to live our lives. We want happy, healthy children who are able to reach their full potential. But parents know that there's something very, very wrong going on. 
And one plus one is not equaling two. We're doing these things that our doctors, our government, they're telling us it's good for our children, it's saved lives, it's improved the quality of life, um, it's the greatest miracle of, of modern medicine, and we're seeing our sick children. And when we ask what's happening, there are no answers, which is astonishing to us that, you know, the CDC, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the uh, vaccine makers, everyone is puzzled by all of this autism and chronic disease. And at the same time, they vociferously state that vaccines are safe. And so, you know, parents are, are, are um, puzzled and, and angry that when we speak out and say, but wait a minute, how about this and how about that? And we're being forced to read the studies and, and read the science and, you know, do our own research because we're not being presented with this um, in the normal course of our interactions with our doctors. And the response to parents is that the sum total of, of the efforts mounted by our public health officials and doctors seem to be directed at parents. So it's now become us against them when they're trying to silence us and discredit us. And what I will tell them, and I think it's important that we all keep um, communicating this message, is that this is a grave mistake. Parents are not the enemy. Parents are caught in the middle. And an accurate portrayal of this situation would be instead to have credentialed medical and scientific professionals on each side of the debate with parents in the middle. But instead, you have... The, the, the major media outlets, they want to bring on a parent to talk with a doctor, um, a mainstream. But, Louise, the problem, Louise, the problem is this, that, that, that you see, I believe that, that, that mothers and fathers, unfortunately, have to become experts. They have to do the research. They have to challenge the establishment. There aren't going to be enough doctors out there. There are a few, like Larry Pilevsky, who are going to be able to risk their professions, risk their careers to, to do this until it's made more politically correct, until the, the people force this debate to occur. It's, it's only educated parents who are going to be able to get up on TV and ask these questions. So until we have more enlightened physicians come forward and scientists come forward, it is left to us to do it, unfortunately. Well, Louise and Barbara, I think that you've um, brought out the fact that, you know, parents uh, had to become uh, educated. Parents were told uh, that when they brought their child who had autism to a doctor, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing you can do and you should institutionalize this child. So parents were put in a position that they had to come, go out and become highly educated in all matters scientific, and then, Louise, as you say, then they're being called, you know, frustrated wannabe scientists when really all they want to do is have healthy children. And I think that uh, we'll, we'll continue this after the break. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Jack LaLanne.com presents Jack LaLanne Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine LaLanne and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris LaLanne, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how. Three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack LaLanne Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Hi, and right before the break, I was uh, commenting on the discussion between Louise Kohabakis and Barbara Lowe. Fisher and um I was saying that um parents have uh, have become highly educated in all things scientific because they um they were told by doctors that there was nothing they could do to help their children with autism they should just institutionalize them so parents had to go out there and um go to bat for their kids and and it's just been wonderful that parents have done that and I think too um getting back to something that you said Louise the, the media um, has really uh, distorted things. I mean, when parents are trying to uh, recoup some resources through the vaccine injury compensation program to help restore their ch- their beloved children's health, restore functionality, try to ensure them a safe uh, future, um, they are accused of, of wielding frivolous lawsuits. So I think the power of language is very important uh, in this whole area. Well, I, I think that, that we have to empower ourselves and not be afraid of becoming informed healthcare consumers. Um, we, at the end of the day, uh, we cannot abdicate uh, to someone with an MD or PhD because they went to medical school and we didn't. Uh, the power and the ability to not only define uh, what good health is, but also make the choices that we need to be able to make about whether or not we want to follow their advice or whether we want to, to you know, use our intelligence, use our instincts, and uh, make our own good decisions. Well, I think it's ironic, um, Barbara, getting back to what Louise said, I think it's really ironic that the professionals put us in this position of having to become highly educated on all things scientific, and then they... Uh, criticize us for 
wanting to uh, wanting to participate in the dialogue. Well, um, Louise, how did you feel at the rally when Barbara Majeski spoke about bringing her child back on the road of recovery from vaccine-induced autism, only to have his health now threatened again by forced vaccinations, such as what they're talking about in New Jersey? And do fill us in a little bit on that. Yes, you know, um, Barb is a very talented, um, inspirational parent, and I think that she articulated a story about her Max, which is a story of so many children in New Jersey and in this country, you know, one of hope and the intuition of a mother to do everything to to help her child. Um, You know, I watched the video, and... I, I was I was devastated, you know, when I when I just I see what she went through with Max. I know what I went through with my own boys. I have heard this story time and time again, hundreds if not thousands of times. And you know, it, it sounds trite to say how much we love our children, um, and you know, the the pain that we experience um, is just. I mean, it's it's it's. You can say it, but until you go through it, when you're at the point that you are willing to do anything to bring your child back, um, you know, it, it's families are absolutely split into mothers. Your hearts are absolutely split wide open by this prospect of your child having this kind of, of suffering and, and, and disorder that could affect them their entire lives. And so what we do is we stand on our heads. And we open our bank accounts, and we deplete college savings funds. We deplete retirement accounts. We go to dozens, if not hundreds, of doctors and therapists and, and healthcare practitioners, and we we do everything we can to heal our children. And you you accomplish that with a single-minded mission. Um, and once you get to that place where you see that everything that you were taught did not put you on the right path, that you had to fight to be on that right path yourself based on your own intuition and listening to the experiences of other parents, and then, and, and then you, you, you learn and you study about vaccination and you realize that all is not as you were taught mm-hmm. and they are not perfectly safe and that there are many ingredients that are that are problematic and worrisome and that there are many adverse events that are devastating and damaging including the ones that your children have um, contracted and be, been diagnosed with well I'll tell you what there is no way on God's green earth that you are going to go forward and vaccinate your ch- child after what you've been through and um, so you know this this uh, this effort of parents at, 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 to, to come forward at the rally is I mean it, it, it's as, as basic and fundamental as a as a parent's love for his or her child and so you know that's this message is absolutely resonating in New Jersey and you know across the nation I mean we know that New Jersey is the number one vaccination jurisdiction in the entire world there is no place that um, vaccinates more than we do in New Jersey, and there's no state in the country that mandates more shots for daycare and school admission than New Jersey. Um, and, you know, it's if you just sort of stop and say, why does New Jersey have to be the first in the nation to mandate, for example, the flu shot? 
and you can, you know, Barbara talked about this. Um, you can do your own research. It's a shot that's not effective for young children. It's extremely, you know, safety data is limited, you know, lots of things to be worried about. You know, the reasons um, are, must likely go beyond the merits of the vaccine. And, you know, and I think that's why New Jersey is very fertile ground um, is because we are ground zero for vaccinations. The United States. I attended in June an AMA-sponsored seminar for doctors um, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, with my husband Ron and my dear friend uh, Lisa Rudley. And we were, our mouths were actually open and agape as we listened to the representative of the CDC stand up and say, "New Jersey, we applaud you. No state vaccinates more than New Jersey, and, and we all know, as goes New Jersey, so goes the rest of the nation." Mm. And, you know, we have very big challenges in New Jersey. We have huge populations of sick children. We have the highest incidence of autism in the country. And so I think you need to say, okay, well, what else goes on in New Jersey? Well, we are the national or worldwide headquarters for a lot of pharmaceutical firms in the world. Many big vaccine makers have operations here. And you have to stop and say, you know, what do we know about big pharma? We know that they're big and profitable, and they use their money to purchase clout and influence. So, you know, coming back to the media, pharmaceutical firms spend $70 billion a year in advertising. You cannot watch the morning news. You cannot watch primetime TV at night. You cannot open a mainstream publication and not see substantial Pharmaceutical advertising, including advertising about vaccines, um, like Gardasil. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you've got to wonder when our, our developed friends, uh, developed countries um, like Japan and, and Europe, when they don't permit this kind of advertising, you know, you, you need to say, is, is this appropriate? Um, is it appropriate that our pharmaceutical firms spend more on lobbyists than any other industry? You know, what do we think about an industry where the top 10 pharmaceutical firms combined, their profits exceed the combined profits of the bottom Fortune 500, 490 of the Fortune 500? I mean, you're talking about a tremendous amount of wealth and influence. And they're trying to turn the language around again and accuse parents who are just trying to recoup resources to help their beloved children of trying to get money. And no parent would trade having a healthy, functional, safe child for any amount of money. No parent would trade no that. No parent. That's all we're trying to get is we're trying to restore our children's health. And you know when, when, when profit meets ideology, when the profit-making uh, business, pharmaceutical industry, meets the ideological biases of a public health infrastructure that is committed to eradicating all infectious disease with the mass use of vaccines, you have a very dangerous situation when the people do not have the right to, to, to choose. Well, um, we didn't get to talk about starting a grassroots movement and other educational avenues, so I encourage people to uh, visit the websites. Uh, Louise Kua Hobakis's website, New Jersey Coalition for Vaccination Choice at www.njvaccinationchoice.org, which stands for New Jersey Vaccination Choice.org, and Barbara Lowe Fisher's website, 
at www.nvic.org, which stands for National Vaccine Information Center. Barbara and Louise, thank you for your passionate efforts to save children from disability and death and to save families from sorrow and for helping to further civil liberties and secure the right to informed consent to everyone's health. Terry, thank you so much for everything that you do as well. With with Autism One, you and Ed are are really tremendous. We appreciate you so much. We really do, and I want everyone to know that the National Vaccine Information Center is going to hold the fourth international public conference on vaccination October 2nd through 4th of 2009 in the Washington, D.C. area, and I hope everyone will come and become empowered and informed next October. Very good. To our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. And next week, my guest is Dr. Derek McFabe with fascinating information about what may be going on in our gut. For questions about this program, please email me at tiaranga at autismone.org. Thank you for tuning in. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.